All right, good morning. So a few weeks ago, my family and I took a trip back to my home state of Texas. And what I love about that trip is I get the opportunity to spend time with family, of course, but man, the food is good there. And they feed me so well there. They take care of me. And, and I get to catch up on all of the foods that I grew up on, right? Some of my favorites, Whataburger being one. Yeah, some, some weird faces in there. Thank you. I got one. Also, real barbecue, real barbecue, okay? So not, not the baked baby back ribs or, or the Traeger stuff, but I'm talking about barbecue places where you walk up and big, huge smoke pits are outside. They're smoking meat outside, and you walk in, you enjoy food, and uh, even five hours after you get a chance to eat the barbecue, you still smell your shirt and you smell like brisket. I'm, I'm talking about that type of barbecue where it's just all infused. It's like you, you were part of the smoke pit, right? Uh, but that, that's not even my favorite food in, in, in Texas when I go back home. My favorite is my grandmother's cooking. Man, that lady can throw down. And I mean, just everything she does, everything she, she cooks is just great. The, the way she seasons stuff, the way she just puts salt in everything, you almost, it almost seems like she takes one specific salt crystal and just places it in every single bite. It's just perfect. But one thing you know about most great cooks is it's hard to replicate that, right? Because they don't measure things. It's, they, they just know, right? And so I'll call my, my grandmother sometimes, and I'll try to take one of her recipes, and, and I'll ask her the question of like, hey, how do, you, how do you make this? And she tells me, well, you want to make sure you get the right amount of this seasoning. Not too little because it won't have any flavor, but definitely not too much because you'll just ruin the whole dish. And I'm sitting there like, well, what, what do I do then, right? But she knows how to do it. And when I tried, you know, some bites taste better than the others and, and whatever. I can't get it right like she can. But she just knows how to perfectly season it. Well, it's one thing for my grandmother to know how to perfectly season a dish for the best taste possible. But what's even way more impressive is the fact that God has sprinkled us as Christians around this earth. In the specific time that we're here the specific places that we're here. It's perfect. He's done that so that we can be able to have an impact with the lost and bring them to Christ. So the two things I want you to think about this morning, I'm going to pose two questions. If I were to ask anybody in your circle of influence, whether they know you well or, or maybe they, they hadn't got a chance to know you well enough yet, if I were to say, hey, just, just tell me about that guy, how would they define you? And then if I were to follow up that question and say, okay, you, you've told me a little bit about him, what's the reason he is the way he is? What's the driving force? What's the motivation? What would they say? So this morning, what I want to do is I, I want to spend some time just being able to make sure that you're, you're certain about the answers to those questions, if I were to ask anybody. And I'm going to be able to give you some specifics on, on how you can apply certain actions and certain things in, in God's Word to be able to know for certain what people would say when they ask that question. So if you haven't already, if you could turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in uh, verse 13, but I want to get a running start. I want to be able to provide some, some context to where we are. So if you're familiar with your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, 
you know that we, Jesus is starting the Sermon on the Mount, right? And he opens up the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes is, it can be translated into blessedness or, or happiness. And if you hadn't had opportunity to read through the Beatitudes, I strongly encourage you to do so. It's, it's a great understanding of, of what a Christian should be. And so Jesus talks about, in the Beatitudes, he describes the character and the lifestyle of a follower of Christ. And the rewards, both present and future, that you can expect as a follower of Christ. But verse 13 starts out with a personal pronoun. So he goes from sort of a a general theme of of what it is to be a Christian and what it looks like to then being very personal to the crowd that was there with him. And he starts off verse 13 by saying, you. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So when we think about this time, if salt was contaminated, if it was no longer pure, then, then salt would just be thrown out, right? They'd have to get rid of it, and they'd throw it outside where people would walk and it would be trampled on. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, verse 13 talks about salt. What is, what is salt? What's the big deal with salt? But during ancient Greek history, salt was a big deal, right? If I, if, I, if, you, if I owed you $100 and, and you were looking for me to pay up and I walked up to you with two Ziploc bags full of salt and I said, hey, here you go, you probably look at me like, what, what is this? Where's my money at? I, I, don't, I don't care about this, this salt. But, but back in these times, salt was very important. Right? It, it was high value. Salt was used for payment. Salt was used to, for friendships. Salt was used to bind covenants. 2 Chronicles 13, 5, God made a covenant with David with salt, okay? So it was a big deal. So Jesus' hearers during this time and the audience, they understood when he says salt of the earth, that it was, it was of high value, of very high importance, much more than we see it today. So being about two weeks out from, from Christmas or so, I, I don't know if there could be a better time to be preaching about salt and light, and how we can be influences as followers of Christ to those around us. All of us at some point in time are interacting with with non-Christians, with unbelievers during this time. It might be at work. You might have a a holiday party because we don't call it Christmas parties anymore. It's holiday parties. You might have those coming up. Or maybe it's in your neighborhoods. You're out talking to your neighbors about Christmas decorations and everything else that's going on. Uh, Many of you with with family members, you have non-Christians within your family. So you'll have these family gatherings, these Christmas gatherings coming up here soon. And what's interesting about nowadays, I I read an article, it was was polled back in 2017, and it said 90%, 90% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Out of that 90%, 
only 46% celebrated as a, a true religious holiday. So that means almost over half of the people that are celebrating Christmas are just taking the good that they want out of it, right? They're taking the, the, the vacation day, right? They're taking the sales at the malls. Right? They're taking the, the ability to be able to consume gifts and presents from everybody else. So for us as Christians, there's not a better time that we can have to go out and share the gospel. We pray for, for these open door opportunities. I mean, right now the door is just off the hinges, right? It's open. And so if, 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 if you've been in a situation where you're a little hesitant to share the gospel or, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's ever the right time, there's no better time than now. 90% of the people are talking about Christmas. And so I encourage you, if you haven't, now is a great time. Stick your toe in the water, right? Get a little comfortable with it because people are expecting us to talk about it. So let's be encouraged by that, man. But as, as, as Christians, we must all embrace this responsibility, right? Jesus gives us a command. We're all commissioned to go make more disciples. And while some more than others might think, ah, that's not my type of Christianity. I don't want to be out there. I don't want to get rough and dirty and, and have conflict and controversy. I just want it to be a smooth, easy ride. That's not how the Bible describes it to be. And we need to be able to embrace that. The Bible is clear that we have a responsibility, and it should be a feeling of honor that God wants to use us as, as a representative, right, as an ambassador. So much so, I want, want us to jot that down for our first point tonight is write it down like this. That we need to be embracing our responsibility to be Christ's ambassadors. So embrace your responsibility to be Christ's ambassadors. As Christians, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We need to see this is the highest honor, not, not a burden of, man, I got to go out and share the gospel, or man, this is going to be uncomfortable, but excited about doing it, right? right? We get the opportunity to be ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us, therefore, we are ambassadors for, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Jesus tells us in our passage God is making his appeal through us, through, through saltiness. And even if we think about salt on how we use it today, it still has great purpose in being a Christian. So the main five functions of salt that we use it today, number one is, is, is purity, being unstained, set apart from the world. That means when, when we're at work, not entertaining those conversations around the water coolers where most of our non-Christian friends are talking about what their wives don't do at home and what they wish they had in their wives. But understanding for us as Christian men that our wives are a gift from God. So when those things are happening, being able to be different and, and showering our wives with praise because we know that God gifted her to us. The second thing is flavor. In this flavorless world, we ought to be salt, something that's set apart from everything else, something that brings flavor to the dish, the flavor to this earth. Right? Without us there, it would just be a bland, flavorless earth. Also, sting in the wound. I don't know if you've ever had salt poured in the room, a womb. I'm not recommending it, by the way. But it doesn't feel good. But God hates sin. And so when we preach the truth of the Bible, it should sting a little. Both to unbelievers and believers. Right? Third thing is it should create a thirst. 
when our non-Christian friends see how we handle adversity, trials, tribulations, sickness, loss of a job, and they see that we're still joyful, we're still praying, we're still giving God all the praise through struggles and trials, they they should have a thirst of, hey, hey, I want a little bit more of what you got. Why are you so happy? Should create that thirst. And then the last thing is a preservative. If we don't, as Christians, act and, and follow Christ the way he's instructed us to in the scripture, then this world gets much worse a lot quicker. And you might be like, so if you're telling me if Christians weren't here, the world is, is worse. Yeah, I am, exactly. And think about it in today's era, right? Christ, Christianity is getting pushed to the side, right? We're on the wrong side of history. We're bigots because we don't agree with what everybody else is wanting to do. And meanwhile, Christianity is getting pushed down and immorality is rising up, skyrocketing. Just think about the last 10 years in itself. So while you and I are here, every day we're here, every day we wake up, every day we get to take another breath, we have a responsibility to do. So knowing these basic functions of, of salt and how it can be implied to your role as ambassadors, I want to pose the question again. How would somebody define you? When you come around, are people reminded of Christ? I think about my, my, my dentist. Um, I had an appointment a couple of weeks ago, excuse me, a couple of months ago, actually, but with the dentists, one thing they do now is they're relentless about when, you're, when it's time for you to come in, they send texts, email, phone calls, smoke signals, everything to get you in, right? They want to make sure you're reminded to come in that, that, for that annual checkup. Well, my dentist sent out uh, a, a text two weeks before my appointment. And what that text does for me is, yeah, it reminds me that I have an appointment in two weeks. But personally, it lets me know, Kellen, you better start flossing. Because I'm, I'm not the greatest at flossing, but I know one thing. If I don't floss, my dentist is ultra aggressive with the floss, and it looks like a crime scene if my gums aren't ready for it, okay? So when I get that text, I mean, daily, I'm starting to floss, and I'm getting prepared for that conversation, that, that, that dentist appointment that I'm going to have. And if I went to my dentist's office, and he spent, you know, 30 minutes examining my teeth and flossing and whatnot, and, you know, he decided to talk about sports and and everything else that was going on and never mentioned my teeth, it, it'd just be weird. I'd probably have a couple questions before I left. I'm like, hey, aren't you going to ask me about my teeth? That's your responsibility, right? But we expect our dentist to talk about our teeth and our gums. So much so, if we even saw him outside of the office, nine times out of ten, that conversation would probably get to something to do with my teeth. And it, it probably would come up from me more so than him because I'm, I just feel obligated to bring it up. Well, as Christian men, that's how people should feel around us because they know that's who we are and they know that's what we're going to talk about. It just comes out naturally, right? And so the, the, the reason that you don't have to, there's sometimes where the conversation doesn't get to the gospel, although every conversation that we get into should, the goal should be to get to the cross. But because you've laid that foundation, because you've already had a conversation with them about putting their full trust in Jesus Christ and repenting from their sins and the need that they, they have for Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you don't get there, your presence alone is a reminder to them of the gospel. 
Just like the dentist, I'm always reminded about my teeth. But again, the goal is to get to the gospel. The goal is to have that conversation every single time. And I'm not trying to say we need to go out there and be something we're not, enforce the issue, but as a believer in, in Jesus Christ, as a Christian, it just, you, you know it. It just comes out. You can't control it. Every conversation seems to point to Scripture, point to Christ, no matter what you're talking about. And so some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I'm not quite sure what people think. I'm not sure if I remind them of Christ every time I come around. Or hey, maybe I have, you know, a Compass Bible sticker, bumper sticker on my car, so they must know, right? Look, this CBC sticker is great. I mean, wrap your car in there for all I care. It, it's awesome to have, but we must understand that a, a, a bumper sticker is it's not the conversation. It's a conversation starter, right? But it still requires a conversation for us to be able to have. And so if you want to have a measuring stick of, of sort of what people see you as when you have conversations, then, then, then here's a couple, couple ways to think about it. Is wherever your conversation tends to go, when you're talking with people that you, you normally talk to, that's probably how they view you. Maybe you're the politics guy. Maybe you got the latest updates on, on Trump and the impeachment process and all that stuff, and every day they can count on you to be that guy. Or maybe you're the complainer. Every time you come around, you just suck the energy, the happiness out of everybody. Like, oh, boy, this person's coming. You know, or, or maybe you're the sports guy. It's convicting for me to even say this. Like, you know, you, you know every single stat about uh, your favorite athlete or your favorite team. And every time somebody's talking about something, the sports just gets to the conversation because you can't leave without it. Or, or maybe you're the gossiper. When people want to know some information, they just come to you because you're going to divulge everything. Or you have an opinion, at least, about everything. I'm not saying that, that sports and, and the politics don't come up in conversation. They do. But that shouldn't be how we're viewed. We should be viewed as, as, as Christian men that, that some way, shape, or form, the gospel is going to get brought up in the conversations. Right? And if it becomes how we're viewed, then we, we're, we're, we're pressing up against verse 13 when it says, we are salt that has lost its taste. And, and Jesus is not talking about Christians losing salvation. So I want to make that clear. Right? John 10, 28 tells us... It, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we're not talking about losing salvation here, but, but Christians like salt can lose their value, their effectiveness for the kingdom if we're contaminated with the world and, 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 and the desires of the flesh and, and what the world is telling us that we need to go do. And, and salt doesn't necessarily have to be this, this big, huge, grand thing, Right? It can also be the little things, the little things we just do as believers in, in Jesus Christ that, that God can use those to continue to work on people's hearts, right? The little things are you know, praying before a meal. As you're going to your holiday parties, as you're going to your family gatherings with, with non-Christians, how are we, we stopping to give thanks and pray before a meal? And yeah, maybe it might cause people to scratch their head and say, hey, or, or try to talk to you in your middle of prayer, those things happen too. It might be uncomfortable for a little bit, but again, it's things that God can use, people seeing you pray when others are not. All right, what, what about just even saying Merry Christmas? 
It's so safe to just say, hey, happy holidays. But being intentional about, hey, Merry Christmas. And if somebody is, is, is asking you why you're saying Merry Christmas, being able to share with them what the definition of Christmas is, what the true definition is, the birth of Jesus Christ. God can use even those small little things, those things that, that, that are just us or who we are, to bring somebody closer to Christ. And we need to keep that top of mind. One example of this is, is Paul. Paul's a great ambassador um, that we see in Scripture who's, who's uncontaminated saltiness is what I would call it. He's definitely a preservative. But if you think about the story in, in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in jail, they were both in jail, and verse 25 tells us, says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, right? So, so Paul and Silas are, are, are doing what they, they normally do. I, I don't know if, if they did or not, but there's nothing in there about like, hey, let's, let's get the strategy together. We're going to sing, and we're, but that's just what they did. They prayed, they sung hymns, and, and people around them were listening, listening so much that the jailer, once everybody was, was freed and the gates were open, he was able to come to Christ because he was hearing and being reminded God was working on his heart, even through songs, even through prayers. And guess what? I can, I can promise you, and this is not by experience or anything, I haven't been in prison, but I can promise you there, there's no worship time in prison, Right? And so even when they were singing, even when they were praying, they were, they were up against potential more persecution or more torture. But they didn't care because it was that important to them that they were who they were as followers of, of Christ. And so a lot of times salt is hidden. It works secretly, right? It's just what we do as Christians. It just comes out and God can use that for, the, for his good and be able to pull people closer to Christ. But light, on the other end, is, is a little bit more obvious. Light is out there in the open. Right? And so let, let's get back to our text for, for a second and, and see how Jesus describes how light operates and how we can use our Christ-gifted light to bring people to Christ. So let's read verses 14 and 15. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So I mentioned I, I took the trip to Texas. On the way back, it was pouring raining. It was bad weather. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm not nervous to fly, but when the weather is bad, I, I tend to listen a little bit more intently to the instructions if disaster strikes. Right? And so one of the things that, that happens every uh, announcement that they make is, you know, if there's a, a loss of power, then the emergency lighting will light, right? And, and the white arrows that will be illuminated below your seats, and they will point to the exit. And it made me think about emergency lighting. Emergency lighting is, is obviously generated by a different lighting source than everything else on the plane. And in, in Genesis 3, God tells us that this plane so to speak, called earth is in an emergency situation. And we are the emergency lights that God has strategically placed around the plane to be able to point people to Christ. And we ought to be eagerly sharing that. In the midst of everybody thinking that they, they know and they're frantic and they're trying to find an exit, 
God's given us that ability to know exactly where the exit is. And we need to be sharing those that are lost on this flight. Our hope to the path of the exit. And that brings us to point number two this morning. Let's write it down this way. Is we ought to be eager to share the one true hope. Be eager to share the one true hope. People all over this world right now, they're, they're searching. They're searching based on, on how, can I, how can I have the best life now or uh, based on my feelings. This is what I feel like it should be to get to heaven. But Christ has provided us the way. He's given us the exact way that the exact and only way to get to heaven. And we ought to be sharing that. And so like emergency lights, as I mentioned, we're, we're uniquely placed where we are. The people that we're surrounded with, it wasn't by accident. Those that, that you're, you're, you're sitting next to every day at work, right? Those sometimes that you're sitting next to at church, those that are in your neighborhood, you have unique access to those individuals that everybody else around you does not have. And we need to be looking to make an impact. How do we make an impact with people? The first thing is, is having intentional conversations. God will provide that open door if we pray for it. But it still requires us to be bold and take that step of faith, that, te- that step of an uncomfortable conversation that, that might be a little controversial, as we talked about this weekend. But that's the goal. Being able to ask questions like, after this life, what's going to happen? Right? Or, hey, how, how do I get to heaven? Seeing what people's response would be. Or, or what's the purpose of this life? We're all here. What, what's the reason? Allowing those questions to prompt the conversation. And look, as you've all experienced this before, there will be many that reject you. There will be many that stick their hand up at you and say, hey, I don't want to talk about that. It's a little uncomfortable. But Matthew 10, 14, Jesus tells his disciples, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And for us to understand that even when we share Christ. People might stick their hands up and say, hey, look, I don't want to hear that anymore. And that's okay because we've planted that seed. And long after we're gone from that conversation, trusting and knowing that God's going to continue to work on their heart, right? When they're sleeping at night, when they're just thinking, when they face a trial in life, they're thinking about that conversation that you had and trusting that that God will, will be able to take it from there. All I'm saying is, is, is we all, as Christian men, are a light, a light that, that God has given us. So don't let the fear of rejection suppress that light that we've been given. we got to keep it shining bright, knowing that every human being that walks on this earth needs the gospel. They need Christ in their life. Every human is, is born into this world. They're infected with the deadly disease of sin. Everybody, not one person is excluded from this list. And God has opened up our eyes as believers to be able to see the cure that we all need. You and I alone are salt and light. It's not everybody. And darkness will not be exposed unless we're the ones that are preaching the good news. I love this verse from Romans 10, 14, 15. It says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We're all preachers. And just think about for a second, you're the, the, those anti-Christians that may be out there, right? I mean, they're, they're bold about it. They're walking around. They're, you know, walking around with signs talking about, you know, how they want to be treated equally or whatever it might be. You, you, know, you all you see the signs on TV, right? But they're bold about it. And they have a hopeless faith. No firm foundation at all whatsoever. But part of me... I, I'm convicted sometimes of like, why am I not that bold about my faith? When, when Christ has given me a reason, Christ has given us a strong foundation. And so sometimes I even think like, hey, I can take a page out of their book. If they're, they're bold enough to do that with no foundation at all and I have a foundation, what can I be doing there? I also have a, a sovereign God that has not put it on us to save anybody. Our job is to plant the seed and water it. God is the one that provides the growth. He's just asking us to go out there and share the good news. And he's going to do the work. Verse 15 tells us we we shouldn't put a light under a a basket, right? If you really think about that, that's that's pointless. What's the point of the light if we're going to hide it? It'd be like, you know, if you went on vacation for a week or two, and you said, hey, Kellen, I'm, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to give you the key to my house. And there's two things that I want you to do is I got a lot of packages coming for Christmas from Amazon. And as the packages come, if you could just st- stop by every day and just put the packages in the house. I don't want them to be tampered with. And, oh, by the way, I also have this, this flower in the house that's near and dear to my heart. If you don't have a flower and you don't want to admit it, that's fine. But I just want you to water it. But it needs water every day. And I say, cool, I got you. So you go on your trip. Two weeks later, you come back home. You pull up to your driveway to find all these boxes cut open, emptied out. Boxes still just left, spread around your door. So you go in your house, and you see your favorite plant. It's dead. What do you do? Hey, Kellen, what, I, what, what happened? I, did you get a chance to come by my house? And what if I told you, hey, you know what, I, I was going to come by your house. I really was. I had all the right intentions. I actually drove to your house, but your neighbors were outside, and they were giving me these strange looks. I, I just didn't want any controversy about me, them not knowing me, going into your house. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, so I just I, I thought it was in my best interest just not to do it. You'd be like, I, I don't care what they thought. I, I gave you the key. I gave you the access. It's my house. I asked you to do two specific things. If you couldn't do it, you should have told me at the beginning, but I gave you access. But that's what God is, 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 is Jesus is telling us here is, look, I, I, I'm giving you access. I'm telling you the reason. I'm allowing you to see the cure that every human needs. I get it. People might give you strange looks. That's okay because I gave you the access. There was a reason that I gave it to you, and we need to be using that. And, and it's, it's not just being in church either. I, I, I know in, in church we're, we're, we're very bold here, right? Because there's not going to be any controversy. Everybody's typically on the same page here. And, you know, so once you share your faith and you can be convicted about it here, but you're not going to get pushback. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about out there. 
What are those conversations? Are we just as bold out there? Look, the, the time we have in church is, is great. It, it's fellowship. We're getting equipped. We're able to serve. It's awesome. But this is church is more of our, our charging station to go out and apply what we have in church out there to the rest of the world. John 8, 12 tells us, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light of the world, Jesus is, is implying that this world is, is, is dark. It's full of darkness. And so we, we shouldn't be so shocked when evil things happen, right? When there's disasters in the world. We should use that as an opportunity to be able to share the truth, share that this world is not what it's all cracked up to be, right? It's an emergency situation, but there's a lot better in the then and there, and being able to share that. The Bible is clear. The world is getting more evil. It talks about it in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12 and 13. So, so we're right on plan, right on plan. This means we're in the, in the midst of evil and trials and just the struggles of everyday life that, that our actions should still glorify God. Count it all joy, James says. So let's read how, how Jesus describes that in verse 16. And he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have to remember and, and understand that our non-Christian friends, they're always watching. Whether you believe it or not, they're watching. They're keeping their eye on you. And there's two things that can happen here. Either you're pulling them towards Christ or we're pulling them away from Christ. And so you might be thinking, well, sometimes I don't even have a conversation about Christ. So what does that mean? That still means we're pulling them away from Christ. Because when we don't have those conversations, that's one less conversation that you're going to have with them in this life. That's a little less time that they're going to have on the face of this earth that they didn't get to hear about Christ. So that's when we think about it, we're pulling them away. The other way we can pull them away is when our actions don't align with our speech. Right? We, we, we say things about Scripture. We quote Bible verses all the time, but when our non-Christian friends look at us, we're no different than they are. So it just encourages them to keep doing what they're doing because they don't see the difference. There's an old phrase out there, and I'm sure you all know it, is actions speak louder than words, right? So your life actions can be the introduction for some people to Christ, or it can be sort of a, a repositioning to somebody that may have thought they'd known Christ, but now they, they get to see how a true believer is, and it repositions them to be able to see Christ. And we have to understand that and consider that with every action that we take. And our aim should be that all actions that we have are God-glorifying, and they shine a light to Christ. Now let's jot that down for our, our third point tonight is be God-glorifying with every action. Be God-glorifying with every action. Everything we do should be a reflection of Christ, who is our true light. We should be thoughtful in everything that we do. And it seems like a lot, but we need to slow down if it seems overwhelming to be thoughtful in everything that we do. Well, Kellen, sometimes I don't know what God wants me to do. Then I would encourage you to have a stronger relationship. Well, how do I have a strong relationship? Think about any relationship that you have. What do you do to strengthen that relationship? The first thing is you got to find out more about that person that you're trying to build a relationship with. So for God, that means reading his word, finding out 
everything that God has given us in Scripture. Communicating with that person, having conversations. You want a healthy relationship with your wife, you're probably communicating with her every day. If you're communicating with her on a weekly basis, it's probably not too healthy. Same thing with Scripture, right? When we talk about God, we need to be praying without ceasing, constantly communicating with God. Third thing is, is, is seek to please that person. Right? We want to know about that person. We want to do what that person likes to do. We want to obey that person if we're, we're talking about God. So we need to, one, know what God is commanding us to do. And then the second part of that is, is obeying what God is, is calling us to do. And then lastly is, is just talking about that person, sharing everything you, you, you know about that person because you you're excited about it. And with God that's, that's talking about him in every conversation that we, we get an opportunity to because it just, it just comes out. We're not forcing the issue, but it's who we are. So when people are genuinely interested in who we are and want to have conversation, it, it's just eventually going to come out. So talking about that person, that's how we have healthy relationships. And the purpose of, of, of our light shining is, is not for us. It's for, for people to recognize Christ's glory. John Piper had a, a, a quote that said, we're all telescopes. No one comes to a, a stargazing event to marvel over the telescope. They come to a stargazing event to marvel over the stars. They just happen to use a telescope to be able to see clearly. And that's us. We're all telescopes. It's not about us. We're not in it to, to glorify ourselves in, in the things that we're, do, we're doing. We're in it to glorify God, for people to look at us and say, why are you the way you are? And we can point to Christ in that situation. When I go to a, a grocery store, I, I often don't ask for help. Uh, but if I ask for help, then I, I really need help. Like, I cannot find this thing. And so there's two type of people that you, are, you interact with, employees that are there. There's the employee that, you know, if you ask them, hey, can you tell me where the chips are, that they look at you like they're annoyed, that you're asking them a question and bothering them, and they're like, over there, in the back. I'm like, okay, thank you. Uh, but they're not really helped, because so, they can point me in a general direction, but I might still get lost. But then there's another employee that just embraces their job. They love what they do. And there's nothing more important to them than making sure that you find exactly what you're looking for. And so when you ask them that question, they stop everything that they're doing. And they walk you over to that, that specific item, those chips that you're looking for, and they point you to them. There's no way you're going to get lost because they're going to make sure you know exactly where you need to go to get what you need to get. Well, that's how we should be with Christ. Right? There's opportunities where people inquire about why we are the way we are. And we need to be taking those opportunities, those questions where people say, hey, why are you so calm? You know, I, I never see you anxious about things. This is a stressful job. Or, or why do you like that person at work? Nobody likes them. Why, like, why are you caring about them? Right? We need to take that opportunity to, to have a Christ-filled answer. When people ask those type of questions because you're a little bit different than everybody else, being able to take that question and walk them all the way to Christ and say, here's the reason why I am the way I am. Here's the reason why I don't stress about certain things because I know that I have a Savior that's told me that this life is going to be tough, that there's going to be stress, there's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulations, but in the end of the day, there's a much better place that's waiting for me in heaven. We got to walk them all the way there. Sometimes it might get stopped, but the intention should be to walk them to Christ so there's no ambiguity on why we do things the way that we do things. 
And so many of you have gotten those questions before, I'm sure. But let me give you a few practical ways you can probably get those questions this Christmas season, that, that some of the things that we should be doing as Christian men that will probably prompt those questions and you can be prepared to answer them. The first thing is, is, is looking to serve in every way possible. When you have your holiday parties, when you have your family gathering, don't just sit back as a consumer. Don't just sit back and eat all the good food and be fat and lazy on the couch and, you know, think it's somebody's, somebody else's job to clean up and, and do those things. You be the one to bring the food. You be the one to help cook. You be the one to help clean up when everybody else is sitting around trying to figure out who's going to do it. Number two is invite someone over. A lot of us in here are blessed that we have family. We have church family, but there's a lot of our friends that are around us that they don't have family. It might just be husband and wife. It might just be them and their kids, and that's it. Invite them over to your house under your roof to be able to eat with you and enjoy the true meaning of Christmas. Invite someone to church. This past weekend, we had the little cars that were passed out, right? Have you got an opportunity to pass out any yet? If not, everything's there. Hand it to somebody. Let God do the work. Have the conversation with them if you get the opportunity to, of course. That's our goal there. But even if it's just handing somebody the card to let them know what our Christmas services are, people will come to church during Christmas season. The last thing is, is give a gift to somebody that's least expecting it from you, right? It's one thing to, to shower our family with gifts, and I'm not saying that you can't do that, but you know, can, we, can we not sacrifice one gift out of the 30 that we're going to give to our kids and our grandkids to give one to somebody that's not expecting it? That's going to be like, hey, why, why, why did you do this for me, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When I was, uh, our, one of our last days in Texas uh, that we had, my parents and I and, and Chelsea, my wife, we were sitting just in the kitchen just talking, and then boom, out of nowhere, lights go out, right? And I You've all been in that situation, but when lights go out, everything stops for a second. Like mid-conversation, you just silence. And the first thing you do is, is, is you're searching for light. Right? And that's what all of us were doing. Luckily, we don't have to go too far. We got flashlights on our phones, so you just boop, pop them out, and done. You got light. But I want to encourage all of us to understand that we're currently in this world. There's a power outage. And... Thank God there's a lot of people that he's placed around you in your life right now that are searching for that light. They're in desperate need for it. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful. They just need to see that, that, that light. And some people, they don't, they're, they're not trying to be anti-Christians. I know many of us think that if you're not Christian, then you're completely anti-Christian. But there's some people that just don't know. I got, I got bad vision. I had to wear contacts. And so, like, before I, I wore contacts, I thought that's what the vision was. I was like, it, it's fine. I guess that's just how it is. That's how some people view life is, you know, I, I take a couple of good quotes, and that's how I live life. I'm not against Christianity. I just don't know what good looks like. But when I'm able to put on a pair of contacts or a pair of glasses, my eyes are open. It's like, wow, I didn't know what I've been missing. And we were all there. 
We weren't born Christians. So there's a lot of people that are around you right now that they just need to hear the good news. They think they got it, but they really don't have it. And when you talk to them, you're able to really put it out there what the true cure is for this sin that we're all infected with. So have those conversations. They're not all scary. Some people are looking for them. They just don't know where to find them, and, and, and you have them. God's placed you around those people. So we need to embrace the fact that God's given us the light. And that should be the answer to how we define who we are as Christian men. And that we should be eager to share the true source of light through our words and our actions and be able to point people to Christ and know for that to be the answer to why you are the way you are. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this text. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to just be in this Christmas season and just know your word, Lord. And we're thankful that you've given us that cure, that ability to know exactly what we need in this life. The Bible is very clear, Lord. You've given us a purpose to be here. And you've given us a great commission to go out and make disciples. And we can only do that through you, God. It's not anything that we're doing with our actions or our words, uh, but it's really just, as Piper said, us being telescopes, us being able to, to live a life that's glorifying to you so that people ask questions, so people that they, they have that thirst to want to know more about what we have, and for us to be able to point that directly to Christ. And I just pray during this Christmas season that, that you give myself, these men, just opportunities to be able to share the truth, be able to, to use this time of year where people are, 90% of Americans are celebrating Christmas, but way, late, way less than half of it, not even the 46%. 46% is just those that are professing, but not even 46% know the true meaning of Christmas or truly know you. So... Help us just in these next few weeks and even beyond, past that, be able to, to be faithful and, and confident in, in your word being truth, Lord. And, yeah, it might cause some controversy, and I know it causes some, some angst just being able to get into those conversations, but that's why we're here, Lord. That's our purpose, and help us to be reminded of that in conversations that we have. Let us be intentional with the conversations that we have. Uh, but I just thank you for opening our eyes, Lord, allowing us to see you so clearly in this world of darkness. And I pray for our small group conversations. I pray that uh, we can be sharing with one another just you know, what we have on the surface coming up this holiday season and praying for one another, checking in with one another, encouraging one another to be able to go out and, and share your truths um, and allow people to see why we are the way we are and who we are as Christian men. I thank you for this time this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.